This episode is being brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join our 3.8 million members and supporters working to power this nation with 100% clean energy at sierraclub.org. And now, on to this episode of No Place Like Home. Hi, I'm Anna Jane Joyner, a climate activist living on the Gulf Coast of Alabama. And I'm Marianne Hitt, a climate activist with the Sierra Club living in the West Virginia Hills. And this is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. This season, we're bringing the light. We've been talking with leaders and practitioners from all different spiritual traditions about wisdom they can offer for facing the climate crisis and how to stay strong and resilient in such tumultuous times. And I am really excited about this penultimate episode of our Bring the Light season. We're exploring the Jewish spiritual tradition and what it can teach us about courageous action in the face of the climate crisis. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But first, let's hear from one of our listeners. We put out the call for y'all to share prayers or poems or passages that are helping you cope with the climate crisis on a spiritual and emotional level. And this one came from Michelle in New York. Hi, my name is Michelle Price, and I'm a listener from upstate New York. I'd like to read this poem by Naomi Shihab Nye called Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. So the Jewish tradition is rich with stories and rituals, and talking with Rabbi Jenny Rosen was an amazing opportunity to both deepen my understanding of that tradition and also to reflect on how its teachings help us all in the climate movement. Very cool, Anna Jane. Tell me about Rabbi Rosen. Rabbi Rosen knew she wanted to be a rabbi from a really early age. I think she said she was around 14. And she grew up with some really powerful women role models who were faith leaders in her community outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And she just really felt called to it. Judaism has incredibly rich and powerful teachings around protecting the earth and stewardship. 
But she was honestly drawn more to its longstanding commitment to social justice and to really helping the most vulnerable, which led her to work with refugees and later evolved into her work as a climate activist. I've really had my own personal awakening. And I believe um, for good and for bad, the bad being that like many people, I am late. And the good being, I think that there are many more people who are waking up for a whole host of reasons to this. For me, it had to do like many with the scientific reports that were coming out and the kind of coverage they were getting around the shortness of the time we have. I'd been working with a Jewish organization working with refugees and my work with refugees and the way in which I was seeing climate as a huge factor in what was propelling refugees to be forced to leave, even as international law doesn't recognize climate as one of the legal reasons that one can claim asylum or refugee status. Uh, and the, the beginning to even unable to fathom what a billion refugees, I mean, that's just, I think of the lives that I encountered in, on that scale. So all of these things I was having my own awakening to this. And I think it is climate crisis is one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so it became clear to me that this is the existential underlying issue of our time and of our generation and generations to come and that it is at the cross section of virtually every other social issue, an issue of social and economic and racial justice. Well, amen to that, for sure. You know, it reminds me of our friend and prior guest, Mary Anais Heglar, who talked about climate vision, the world's worst superpower. <laughs> once you once you see this, you can't unsee it. And, you know, the Jewish faith has a long history of standing up for social justice, a uh, very well-known history in the civil rights movement and through many other social justice movements throughout history. Yeah, for sure. But Rabbi Rosen kind of felt that the Jewish community wasn't as engaged with climate action in the way that she feels is really necessary. Our estimates are that about 80% of American Jews are either very concerned or somewhat concerned about the climate crisis. Most are not engaging. There's a lot of angst and not as much action. So Dainu really comes out of this gap. So in order to meet this need and really engage the American Jewish community in climate activism, she founded this new organization called Dainu, which the purpose is to galvanize climate justice activism within the American Jewish community and basically connect the dots between social justice and climate action. So the work of Dainu, you know, seeks to really support and center the experience of communities most impacted with the recognition that it affects all of us. Like coronavirus, it's disproportionately impacting black, brown, indigenous communities, and it's impacting all of us. Because I think it's really important to understand that the work is about lowering emissions, but it's also about what is the economy and the energy that we're creating and who does that include and who does that not include. So the name Dayenu has this really beautiful significance. It's tied to one of the most important Jewish holidays. It's actually a song that's sung with great gusto at Passover. And if any listeners have not had the great honor and privilege of being invited to a Passover Seder, if you're not Jewish yourself, it is 
a festival celebrated in the spring that culminates in a big feast and commemorates the emancipation of the Israelites from slavery in ancient Egypt. So Dainu is a song, one of the songs that's sung at the Passover Seder. It's a song that even people with very limited kind of Jewish knowledge, traditional knowledge, many people know the song Dainu. We've translated it in a little bit of a, not the typical way, which is, but it's literally true, which is Dainu, we have had enough. We've had enough. It also can be translated as we have enough. We have what we need. We, we have the scientific knowledge. We have the technology. We have what we need to build a different world so that all can have enough. I love that almost coming out of a spirit of abundance. You know, I think that that rings true for me in a couple of ways. One, you know, we know enough to realize that we have to tackle the climate crisis. We also know what the solutions are. We know how to make electricity and transport ourselves around without harming the planet. And so we have enough scientific knowledge, we have enough technology, but there's this other meaning that that came to me, which is we've had enough, right? Like we, we've, <laughs> we've had enough and we're ready for, we're ready for action and we're ready for putting those solutions into motion. That's great. Yeah, it's such a kind of perfect name for the organization and the work that they're doing. I was so inspired by our whole conversation, but probably the part where I got the most sort of chills and kind of awe was when she was talking about the Passover story of the Israelites gaining freedom from slavery in ancient Egypt, but also just how much kind of faith they had to have. You know, they they were leaving this situation, which was what they had known, but having faith that God would protect them and would honor their desire for liberation. And I just, I don't know, I felt I felt like there were so many parallels between uh, that story and kind of where we are in the fight against the climate crisis and and so much to learn from that story. Like many people, Jews have faced extinction before and faced it with courageous action. And I think about the, the midwives in the story in Exodus, Shifra and Pua, who risked their lives to save babies who were going to be killed. There's also the story in the same narrative of Nachshon. Nachshon was as the Midrash, as the story interpretation based on the text tells, Nachshon was the, when when they approached the Red Sea, Nachshon walked into the sea step by step as the water rose and rose up to his nose. And it was only then when he walked all the way in that the waters finally parted. And so we, we, we think about who, who are the Nachshons, who are the Shifras, who are the Puas, and even Moses, right? You think about Moses who confronted authority over and over again, and the ancient Israelites who embarked on a treacherous journey to a better life. So this is an arc of stories that for me really resonate around courageous action and thinking about how do we, in our own time, as we face existential threat of the climate crisis, how do we draw from our own wall of strength? Wow, Anna Jane, that really speaks to me. I have to say, I have never felt more like I'm walking into the unknown as I do right now in not only the midst of the climate crisis, in the midst of racial conflict, in the midst of a pandemic, and with a national election looming over us in the fall, so much feels unknown and uncertain. And frankly, my own inner compass is 
pretty thrown off, to be honest. And at the same time, I personally have, you know, my little Shepherdstown Presbyterian Church is still meeting on Facebook. And I go to that place every Sunday to be reminded of these old stories, of these 2,000-year-old stories of people who faced great uncertainty and yet stepped into that with some kind of faith, you know, with drawing on some sort of deep reserve of strength and belief in one another and in the possibility of something good emerging in the world out of chaos. And so that really speaks to me as something that I think we all really need in this moment that, you know, just not giving up and continuing to move forward, even when you can't see the path ahead, frankly. I want to go back to this idea of courageous action because she mentioned it a few times and I really feel like it's at the crux of what I feel like we all kind of need right now in this time of great uncertainty. And also one of the big things that spiritual traditions and faith traditions can help give us and, and guide us into, kind of similar to what Joanna Macy, who's the incredible Buddhist teacher, talks about in the concept of active hope but basically working through the emotional process of facing and comprehending the crisis we're in and also providing space to grieve it and to mourn it. That's a really important missing link for many of us in the kind of Anglo-Western cultures where we tend to skip the grief part. But without facing and processing the grief, it's really hard to find the emotional depth and strength to turn our energies towards courageous action. Yes, and we have so much to learn from the Jewish tradition when it comes to grief and grieving. Yeah, it was really profound to hear Rabbi Rosen's thoughts on grief and mourning when it relates to climate action. Jewish tradition has elaborate rituals around mourning, and many of them center around giving space for grief. After someone has died and after they've been buried, everyone comes back to the home and there's a sort of meal of consolation, and then begins shiva, which is a seven-day period, and the immediate mourners generally don't leave their home. Other people take care of them, cook for them, take care of the day-to-day needs, and they say the Kaddish prayer and gather together with others who share stories and support them in their grief. And it's this almost bubble of time at the end of which traditionally you, you actually get up and you walk around the block as a, as a way of re-entering into the next stage of regular-ish life. You know, as somebody who has lost uh, someone close to me, in the past year, this really hits home as just something I think we we almost do instinctually, but I love the ritual around it here. And we talked with Kriti Kanko, uh, a Buddhist teacher in a prior episode about the importance of grief that has actually come up a few times this season. And again, the the idea of sitting with it and sitting with it for a while and allowing it to do its work um, is something I think is pretty foreign to the climate movement. I think we're all about action. And I think I've been reflecting now as we're in the middle of racial turmoil and a pandemic and a climate crisis that I think I have a greater need to grieve and I have been making a lot less time for it because I just feel like I need to be in action and doing things. And I, and yet at the same time, some days I can't get out of bed. And those two things feel like they're really in conflict with each other. And I wonder if that's because 
I'm not giving myself time to grieve or I'm afraid to do it. I don't know. Yeah, especially American culture, we have in so many ways been taught that our value is in our efficiency and our output and our productivity and our action. And there is very little space given to these deep emotional experiences like grief and mourning. And and I really love learning from the Buddhist tradition and the Jewish tradition and, and many others about how you know, if you don't provide space for these these very real human experiences, then I think they can show up in kind of darker ways in your life where you just sort of crash and burn because you're not really taking care of yourself or your community. And I, I really love like how in the Jewish tradition in particular, it's an iterative process that unfolds over time. And I think the other big one is that you have to do it in community. You have to lean on others to help you as you as you go through these experiences of profound grief and mourning. And I think that's something that could be very foreign to Americans. But Rabbi Rosen really wants to change that by sharing some of these teachings of her faith with the larger climate movement. How do we sustain and hold people who are already very in touch with the grief, their grief around climate, and the majority of Jews and frankly of Americans who are not walking around conscious of their grief about this, or even their anxiety about this. It might be sort of like a background static. And part of the work of spiritual adaptation is giving people the space to kind of confront that as opposed to look away, because it's so it's so overwhelming, right? To look at it, it's like looking at the sun. And I think for people who are not engaged in this day in and day out, the way that you might be or I might be, it's new terrain. And I think that it would be that it's likely to be met with a combination of relief, like, ah, oh, finally there's a, a place I can do something with this feeling, and fear and desire to turn away and all of the things that that we all experience. So part of the role of religious communities, I think, and religious leaders and religious teaching is is to begin to give people support in doing this work. The support of community, the support of practices, the support of, for some, rituals, and that space set aside for this work. I think that is so important. You know, Anna Jane, this reminds me of our episode with Reverend Yearwood, who talked about his advice to young activists who he knew would ultimately be headed for burnout if they didn't find some kind of spiritual anchor, whether that's prayer or meditation, something to draw on that's greater than yourself. And I love how she adds uh, this element of community, because I certainly feel like that has been my experience. You know, it's one thing to go buy a book or try to teach yourself to meditate. But in my experience, you can only go so far if you're not held in community as you're doing that. That's why my little church service every Sunday means so much to me. It's not just because of the wisdom that I get from thinking about all of these ancient stories of people fighting for liberation against empire, but it's doing that in community. And um, I think that we are really missing that in a lot of parts of our lives. And I love how she wove those two things together. Yeah, these themes of kind of setting aside space for ritual, for meditation, for prayer, even just sitting outside, whatever it is that allows you to feel kind of connected to something 
larger than yourself. And I just, I think that one of the things I've taken away from this season is is how much we can learn from, from one another and all these very rich and diverse traditions that make us more resilient. You know, it really reminds me of the basic principle of biodiverse ecosystems. Like we are stronger and more resilient when we acknowledge the beauty and benefit of diversity. And, and we really do thrive with spiritual diversity in the same way that our ecosystems thrive with ecological diversity. So I asked Rabbi Rosen where she finds the courage to keep doing this work. I find courage from a, this is a strange one, but I find courage from a sense of obligation, a sense of obligation to, to my children, to our whole country, to God, to future generations, um, a sense of like, we have to, we have to do this. This is a time when we all need to be taking courageous action and digging deep into our well of strength. And I, I find courage from being part of an arc of history and a sense of a very strong sense of generations before me, both in the biblical sense, we were talking about, you know, Shifra and Pua and Nachshon and Moses, and also my own grandmothers and great-grandmothers and future generations. And I find courage from, from song um, and from prayer which are also sources of courage and also sources of sustenance, which are, are not the same thing. And yet we so profoundly need both. We need sustenance. We need ways to refill our wells and we need courage um, so that we can, we can draw from those wells. Hmm. Is there a particular song that is giving you kind of courage and or sustenance right now? So my friend and colleague, Rabbi Shoshana Friedman, wrote a song uh, called The Tides Are Rising and So Are We. It is a song that um, never ceases to, to, move, to move me, to sustain me, and to, and to call all of us to, to courageous action. You know, we've got to have music in our movements. Maybe that'll be a new season. (laughs) You know, I'm a musician. And so I definitely love when people channel all their passion for the world we're trying to build into into music. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Who was it who said, if if I can't dance, it's not my revolution. (laughs) I love that. Um, So at the end of our conversation, I asked Rabbi Rosen if there was a passage or a prayer that is kind of of significant 
meaning to her right now and her relation to her work as a climate activist. And she spoke of the Passover story again as a tale of leaving a place of oppression and genocide, a journey out of darkness. And the passage that I'm thinking about is um, a passage in Deuteronomy, but it takes place during that exodus when we're wandering in the desert and having, having come out of Egypt. And God reminds us that the path forward, that our redemption is not in the heavens or beyond our reach. Loba shemaimhi. It's not too far away. Our redemption's in our hands. Biadenu. And, and in this passage, God says, you know, I tell you this day, it's not too baffling. It's not beyond your reach. It's not in heavens. It's not across the sea. You sh- it's here. It's in your mouth. It's very close to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart to do it. And God goes on to show just how high the stakes are. God says, I've set before you this day, life and prosperity, death and adversity. Choose life so that your offspring will live. And I think about this a lot in the face of the climate crisis. And this is a passage that I find I keep coming back to and turning over and over again to gather strength. Lo, Bashamayni, it's not in heaven and beyond our reach. It's in our hearts and in our hands, and we can do it. Thank you so much, Rabbi Jenny Rosen, founder and CEO of Dayenu, for sharing your heart and your spiritual reflections with us and our listeners. If you've been enjoying this season and this conversation, want to explore other spiritual and faith voices and traditions, you might want to check out some of our previous episodes. Um, We've got some amazing conversations with faith leaders like Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, Adrienne Marie Brown, Diana Butler-Bass, William Matthews, and many more. Thanks to our sponsor, the Sierra Club. This episode was produced by Allison Wilson, and we are distributed by Critical Frequency. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, y'all, and please leave us a review there, too. That is what helps us get the word out and helps more people find our show. And join the conversation between episodes by following us on Twitter, NPLH Podcast. And remember, there is no place like home. This is where-